wants us to be. And the scripture tells us, um, and I'm always fascinated with this and I'm fascinated in cult- church culture as well about how many people are saved and people are worried about people being saved. Scripture never tells that. Scripture talks about going out and making disciples. And disciples are people who follow, but to follow you need to know the way to go. And we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus. We're not necessarily, we're supposed to be interdependent on each other, but not dependent on each other. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to have a relationship with Jesus and be moving. And I don't say that to condemn any of us, just to say that's the potential that's there for us. That we, Jesus wants us to have that just with him. And that's what all last week was about, was about learning to hear God's voice speak directly into your life. Not necessarily through anybody else, but just you and him. And he's capable of speaking if we can just be capable of listening and hearing him. And I'm going to do the same as last week where we took that time at the end. Today, I'm going to take some time and give us an opportunity to go through a process of just asking God a few questions and waiting to hear his answers. And I really think that if, if we can enter into that, that today could be a game changer for many of us. Because I think God wants to change the game that we're playing. I think a lot of us have been caught up playing the same game over and over and over again and it's getting us nowhere. And the session that we're going to look at today is called the Sabotage Cycle. And it was the first session we ever saw when we went to the States a couple of years ago and we landed in this church and this was the session they were doing that morning. And what struck me in it was the practicality of it. What really struck me in it was the truth of it. And the truth of it in my own life. And being able to sit back and see it over and over and over again. And, and what I loved, and one of the things I love about what they talk about and forward a lot is, and what we believe is that one minute in God's presence, just one word from him, can be worth so much more than all the hours you will spend in a therapist's office or sitting talking to friends about your problems or anything else. And I say that as somebody who is a counselor. Okay, so I am not anti-counseling. I work a counseling. That's my job. It's my living. So if everybody just hears from God, I am our work. But that's okay. I'm sure he'll give me something else to do. There's plenty of roads to be swept or something. But the reality of it is, I could sit with somebody and do 10, 20, 30, 40 hours of counseling with that person. But if they just hear one whisper from God, it can be more valuable to them than all of them else. The scriptures tell us one day in the presence of God is worth thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. And moving forward in anyone's life is always going to be a process. It's never going to be just wham, bang, there we go. Something amazing happens. But it will have moments in it. And there will be times when something will happen. Someone will say something. You will see something. You'll experience something. And that will make a difference. But you know what? The next day you have to get up and still walk through the same stuff. You can have an amazing moment in a church or at a conference or in a counselor's office or something like that. But the next day you have to go home. Or that night you have to go home. And you have to still live with the people you have to live with. And you still have to walk with the people you have to walk with. And you still have to process that out in your daily life. And this sabotage cycle thing that we're going to talk about, I really hope is going to explain some of the issues that most people, that I have encountered anyway, have in life, including myself over the years. So why many of us have issues with relationship problems. And I don't just mean like boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife relationship problems. I mean relationship problems with other people why we have so many issues around that. Um, why we have, and we get caught up in these unhealthy cycles of doing something and then going back and doing the same thing again. Um, why a lot of counselling doesn't work, believe it or not, and why most of our efforts to break bad habits don't work. Anyone ever tried to break a bad habit? Anyone ever failed? <laughs> Miserably. I seem to be able to make bad habits fairly handy. Breaking them is a different story. And I think that's what caught me with this because I have loads of bad habits and I've had loads of bad habits. And the idea that there was some way of getting past them really intrigued me. And I think if, if, we, if we go down this and it works, some people today are going to get a light bulb moment. We're going to get that where it just goes, bang, Jeannie, that makes sense. 
that actually makes sense. So the goal really for today is to try and begin the process of breaking some of these unhealthy cycles in our lives. And I really believe that we're going to hear from God and that we're going to step into some new freedom. And there's a tool, one tool, a really simple but a very powerful tool that I want to talk about later on that can really make a huge difference in our life as we go ahead. And in reality, how many times in life do you ever get to just stop and think about what's going on? I'm in this place. Usually if we're in a bad place, we're in that much misery. We're not thinking about how we got in the place. It's how the hell are we going to get out of the place. True? And then once we're out of the place, the last thing you want to do is think about how you got there. Because you don't want to go back to feeling how bad you felt when you were in it. And we end up just keep going from one bad situation to another bad situation. When we started going to St. Mark's many years ago, they had this phrase they used to always keep saying, oh, she's going around the mountain. Or he's going around the mountain. And the idea was that you, you walk in life and you come to some place and something happens. And we either deal with it and learn to go through it and grow because of it. Or we figure out a way to kind of sidestep it and avoid it. But then you end up just going around the situation and you end up coming back. I'll give you an example. I walked... Um, I have had all my life a fear of rejection, and I hate conflict. Okay, Many of you may sit there and go, no, he doesn't. Yes, I do. I may deal with conflict. It doesn't mean I like it. I hate it. And I get very uncomfortable on the inside in conflict. And I, have a, and I do actually have a massive fear of rejection, um, which is weird considering what I do. But anyway... Um, I walked in several different places where I worked for people who were what I would call bullies. But I, was, um, I wasn't good in conflict, so I was an accommodator and an avoider. And I left jobs because I was working for bullies. But guess whatever happened when I ended up in the next job? I ended up with a worse bully. And that happened over and over, and I can still see those people's faces in my, in my head, until in one place where it was like, the Lord got a hold of me and said, you're not leaving till you face this. And I faced it. And was it uncomfortable? Painfully uncomfortable. Awful. Would I ever want to do it again? No. But it broke something. The next job I went to, guess what I was working for? A bully. It was in a school. I won't say where in case this is ever heard. And they had a great anti-bullying policy. You know who the biggest bully in the place was? The principal. Every person on staff was terrified. She was the greatest bully I had ever met. But she didn't get into me because something had been broke the time before. Something in that cycle that I went around and around and around in got broken because God showed me something in it. Does that make sense? And, and I think if we're all really honest here, we probably all have something that we've gone around the block in a few times. You've had a bad boyfriend, and then you've had another bad boyfriend, and another bad bo- a girlfriend. Or you've had a bad experience with somebody, and you've had the same bad experience. Or you've been broke, and then you go, okay, and then you were broke again, and then you go, whatever. It's just this cyclical thing going on and on and on. And what happens when we get stuck in that is we can't move forward. Because it's like we press play, stop, rewind, Play like Ushian's gone in there to rewind that thing. I think for to get and to press play on the on the video for the kids, but I pressed it up this morning and pressed pause on it. And when I went in, it was at the plane for an hour and a half, so it needs to be rewound and start again. But sometimes our life, we're doing that with life. We're going back and pressing play on something that we've played over and over and over and over, and our hope today is in God. And in him being able to do something to help us change and to help us have a different future. And I want to read a scripture for you, which, sorry, because God is in this with us. He's not left us on our own. He's not just throwing us out there and saying, go deal with this stuff. He's in it with us. And the scripture is from 2 Corinthians 10. And it says this, it's verse 3 and 5, so look this up when you go home. Actually, later on I'll give you notes and you can, you can look this up if you want to when you go home. It says, for we, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm going to read that again just one more time because this bit in it I think is really important to let it sink in. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with, we fight and we have weapons, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. I love that word, demolish. I just love it. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Let me just tell you something here. The knowledge of God is that you are made in his image. And you are made to move forward. You are not made to go around in circles. You are not made to be a slave to anything. You are made to live free. And you are made because you have a destiny. And you're here on purpose and with purpose. We have weapons. We're not helpless and we're not hopeless. Spiritually, we are better armed than any army in the world. Any army in the world. But we need to catch a hold of that. And we need to really and honestly try and catch a hold of that. Because if we can, it will help us to have a victory in our life. And it will help us to move forward towards who we were created to be. So let's have a look at this thing. This sabotage cycle. There's four parts in it. So I'm going to ask you to stick with me. We'll come to it. There's four parts, the event, the lie, the reaction, and the response. And let's just look at the event to start with, okay? Um, And that's typically negative. And they happen all day, every day. That can be from somebody just looking at you, to someone saying hello, to someone dipping your purse, to you going down there and there's no custard creams left. That's my regular event on a Sunday because someone's at them all before they get there. It can be whatever it can be, okay? It doesn't have to be a big thing, but for some people it will be a big thing, okay? And some events are for moments. They might only last five seconds. They might last a minute. They might last a half an hour. They might last a day. For other people, it goes on and on and on. I need to take a mouthful of this and put it down. It's just getting colder sitting in my hand. Sometimes it happens over years. If it's only a quick thing, someone might have hit you or robbed you or done something like that. Or it might be an abusive situation that goes on for years and years and years. It can be all kinds of stuff. Some of it you can kind of group it up and say, well, some of this stuff is like hurts and traumas. Okay, these things are actually, I have experienced these things. They've hit me. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was even neglect. Or maybe someone close to you died. And that left a mark. A left... Maybe when you look back at life, you can see moments like that and you might think, you know, I can't even put my finger on it, but that hurt. I still remember that. That left a mark. That stung when it happens. Maybe there was a moment of rejection. Maybe a hurt, a trauma. Maybe it was generational. Maybe it was how you grew up, how I grew up. Maybe there was experiences that happened... Maybe it didn't come from a great family. I love sitting with people who are telling me they're coming from the most amazing families. And then you start talking to them and you find out, that wasn't an amazing family. They were awful. They'd done awful things to each other. But in our head, we think it was amazing because we have nothing to compare it to. I thought my family were normal. You all probably think your families are normal. <laughs> Quite possibly. Okay. The other question is, what's normal? Yeah, I understand that. But when, like, I remember meeting Anne and, and, and then going to visit her in her house and thought, these are crazy. She thought our family were mad. She thought we were like the secret service. Because we dealt with nothing. We buried everything under the carpet and stubbed the back out of each other. Okay? Because you didn't deal with conflict in our house. They had no fear of conflict. They would just be straight in there. They'd have a shout and match and five minutes later they'd be friends. I come from a family of eight children, and most of them don't talk to each other. Including me. Most of them don't talk to me. 
because of the family and the generational stuff that went on in there. Things can happen for a long time. Maybe you might have been, had sickness at some stage. Or you could have been born with something wrong. Maybe you were raised in an environment where everything around you was just saying something. And you grew up and made that your own. Or you grew up in Crumlin. Can I tell you something? When we went to school across the road, they weren't telling us we could go out and take on the world. They were telling us because we were from Crumlin, we were never going to amount to anything. Do you know what? As kids, we believed them. Because these are the people in authority. They might be spiritual. You might have grown up in a family that, like, were spiritual. But what does that even mean? In my family, they went to Mass on a Sunday, and then God didn't exist for the rest of the week. Or they had watched something on telly that was probably a bit dodge, <laughs> break the heart laughing at it, and then give out about it two minutes later and say that was disgraceful. And you've got this whole mixed message going on. I had that. That was my experience. I don't know what your experience is or was. But spiritually, what went on? So and I know I'm talking about events a lot, but this isn't only about events. And we're not going to go on an event safari, and I'm not going to say, let's go digging up what events happened to you in your life. I believe this 100%. If God wants you to remember an event, you'll remember it. And as we take a bit of time at the end of this, we will take time to see if God wants to remind you of something. But you don't have to go looking for it. So they're important because they're the spark that can start the fire in this whole cycle. But what it does is it leaves us on to something that's much more important, and that's the lie. Because what happens when we have an event is an event happens. What's really important is what meaning do we cut to that event? What do we build into that? Where do we put the layers onto it? So here's the thing. I have an event, but now I start to define the event. And the sabotage cycle starts to form when I start asking the why question around the event. Here's why that happens. Here's why that event happens. The event isn't what gets me stuck. It's the interpretation I have of the event that gets me stuck. The event can be neutral. It doesn't have to be anything big at all. It can be good or bad. And here's the thing. Why is it that when some people get, like some people can lose their job and just get up the next morning and get on with life as if nothing's happened to them, and other people, if they lose their job, they're devastated. They're in depression for six weeks, six months. Same event. I've worked with people um, when I was working as a coach who are being made redundant. Some people totally devastated, think life is over, they're nearly going to kill themselves. And other people are like, yeah, okay, job's gone, move on. Same event. The difference is in the interpretation that each of those individuals are putting on that event. And what they're believing about what it says about them. Does that make sense? The event then starts to tell us stuff about us, about others, and about God. So here's the thing when we talk about lies. We inherited some lies. We took them on board. How we grew up. You might have grown up in a place where people said things about certain people. You think about that one for yourself. Rob Carley always tells the story about when he was growing up. He lived in Cork. He doesn't wear a Cork accent. I can't do a Cork accent. I won't even try. But he talks about someone used to say to him, do you ever hear this phrase, if, if their eyebrows meet in the middle, you can't trust them? Okay, right. So, so someone has a, a follicle challenge and now they can't be trusted. Okay, it's like, boy, he says it with a car accident. It's really good. I'll get him to do it the next time you see him. But, but there's that whole thing. There was a lie. Do you know what he believes that? He said he walked in the bank and someone came in to cash a check one day and he looked at his eyebrows and go, this guy could be dodgy. Because <laughs> his eyebrows are meeting in the middle. But it's just a lie that he had picked up somewhere along the way. Interesting to sit back and go, God, what lawyers have I believed? And here's the other part of that. What lawyers am I actually living out of now? See, the thing about us as kids when we're growing up is kids are really good receptors. We take everything in. And they take everything in. But they don't often have the wisdom to interpret what's going on. Or to be able to go, that's good, that's bad. They're really observant. But they don't have filters. We didn't have filters. 
Okay? The Jesuits used to say, you give me a child until he's seven and I'll give you the man. Give me the first seven years, I will mold him into the man he will become. That's how moldable we are in the first years that we are alive. And what we live out of, even now, I'm a 59-year-old adult, and I still live out of stuff sometimes. That happened before I was seven. Should I? Probably not. Some of the good stuff, maybe. But I have had to learn to break a lot of the negative stuff. We get shaped very young into how we see the world. And if we don't have somebody giving us truth and wisdom, that becomes our reality, and we live out of it. Do you ever see somebody walk into a room, and there's four people sitting over on a table over here, and then they suddenly burst out laughing? This had never happened to anybody in this room, because we're all so confident and sure of ourselves. But they walk into the room, and these four people over there start laughing, and they get all bent out of shape, because what's going on in their heads? They're laughing at me. They're watching a YouTube video. It's nothing to do with them. But in his head, or her head, they're laughing at me. So the event is just for people laughing. But the interpretation they've put on the event is, and the lie is, you're funny, you're stupid, there's something wrong with you, they're laughing at you. Good receptor picked up that they're laughing. Bad interpretation on it. So the problem isn't the event, it's how we interpret it. And filters, sorry, the question is, what filters are we using to interpret that? Because if we're not careful, it's no longer just an event, it's the meaning behind it that really changes things for us. You could have an event, like say, in a family, dad leaves home. The little child, or the little girl, or the little boy in their head isn't saying, mom and dad aren't getting on, they're gone. He's gone, she's gone, whatever. It's like, they don't love me. And then it moves from, he or she don't love me, to I am not lovable. And then from that place, I am not lovable, we begin to live the rest of our life. Maybe my wife left home. Now it's, I can't trust women. Because she left. Many women I have met who have said, it's not that he left me, but all men are. They can't be trusted, whatever. See how quickly you move from, a, from an event to an interpretation to a lie? And then live out of it? And here's the thing, if we believe the lies long enough, they become core beliefs in our system. And we live out of them. And this has nothing to do with your religious <coughs> beliefs. Nothing whatsoever. This is the beliefs that you have about you and the way the world operates. And if those beliefs are based on those lies, then you will live out of them. And it doesn't even matter what people say in church. It doesn't even matter what the Bible might say to you. Someone in church, I might say, God thinks this way and says this way, and you'd be sitting there going, yeah, he thinks that I know differently because I have had this happen, and I know it doesn't work that way. This is the way it works. And if we believe those lies long enough and they become core beliefs, they become, in spiritual terms, what's called a stronghold. And a stronghold is a pattern of wrong thinking that eventually produces a pattern of wrong living. A stronghold in physical terms is what? It's like a castle, isn't it? It's an impenetrable place where people have to attack. It's, it's guarding the land. And these strongholds are guarding our lives. But they're guarding them against all the good stuff. It's of all these wrong things in my head which is making me live a wrong way and it's holding me in this trap and stopping me being able to move forward. It's where God might say this about me but I say this. God says, I am this and I go, no, 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 no. I know different to that. I don't know how many girls we have sat with over the last 20 years who you go, you're a daughter of God, you're a child, you're precious, you're this, that, and you're And they go, no, no. No, I'm not. They'll say yes to your face, but you can see in their eyes. It's not penetrating. But then you know what? When you do actually see the truth of that manifest in someone's life and the freedom that brings and the stopping all of the pain 
that's been cyclically going on in their life, it's phenomenal. Because one minute with God can change everything. The lawyer is saying, I can't trust God. God doesn't speak to me. I have to take care of me because nobody else will. And that includes God. He's not going to take care of me either. I'm not worth loving. And they're big things we throw out there because they're our core beliefs. And we ignore what God says and we ignore what's really true because we misinterpreted in an event and we believed a lie. See, what I've been through and how I interpret it can be two very different things. A lot of us have believed stuff that's not true. And here's the problem. Actually, it's not a problem. I think here's the solution. If most of us knew that it wasn't true, we'd throw it away. If we realized it wasn't true. And the bits where I've seen that freedom come into people's lives is where they've actually realized what I believed about myself for the last 25, 30 years isn't true. We have events. We have things happening. Like I come across this in the world all the time. I ask people, we have four basic questions I ask people when they tell me something about themselves. They say, one, have you any evidence to prove that's true? Let me go back to what I was told growing up in Crumlin. You'll never amount to anything because why? Because you're from Crumlin. Okay. Is there any evidence in the world to prove that? No. These were culty teachers who knew nothing about Dublin but hated us all. Okay. Was there any usefulness in me believing that? Was that going to help me? No. And was it even true? No. Lots of people from Crumlin have made a huge difference in the world. Good and bad, but they've made a difference. I think in the next few minutes, God's going to help us deal with that. And I want to give you a very simple tool and a very simple question that you can ask yourself. What if it's not true? What if that is not true? Whatever that is in your life, what if it's not true? I'm not worth loving. I'm no good. I'm whatever. And I understand all the events and all the things that can happen in your life. But what if that's not true? I just can't trust men because this one, this, this, that, them, there, 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 there. Yeah, all of that. But what if that's not true? God doesn't care about me. God doesn't do that anymore. What if that's not true? Imagine we just entertain that possibility for a minute. What if that is not true? Because here's what really matters. If we don't begin to tackle these lies, we form our life around that lie. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God won't help me. If I form my life around that lie, it's going to cripple me. And we find ways so we don't have to deal with that pain. And that leads us into the next bit, which is the reaction. This is the stuff I do when that lie comes up in my head and I begin to feel that pain. Because it is pain. It's emotional pain, it's whatever it is, spiritual pain, it's there. And I don't like pain. Anyone here love pain? Massacre's group is meeting down the road, down the road, there. There's nobody I know who loves pain. Anyone like getting two takes? No, no, no hands up for that one. Okay. God, Monica, I thought you put your hand up there for a second. You're only scratching your nose. Okay. Here's how I, what do I do to avoid the pain? How do I avoid the anxiety, the hurt, the disappointment? This is my reaction to the lie. These are not necessarily my reactions. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but some of them might be what you do. There's hurt. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to experience it, so I'm going to do something to stop it. I'm going to medicate it, or I'm going to run from it. Whatever the medicating it may be, I'm going to find a way to avoid that pain. So we create a way. We learn a way. Maybe it's being angry. For some people, it's anger. They get in any kind of pain at all. The first thing you get is anger. It's how they deal with everything. Maybe it's blaming. I blame everybody on everything. I don't deal with anything. Maybe it's busyness. They run, 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 all day. Fall into bed exhausted, get up the next day, thoughts come back and they get busy again. 
Oh, I'll, I'll make sure I have 27,000 things to do in a day and I'll have to stop and think about anything. Maybe it's control. Taking inappropriate responsibility for other people and trying to control their lives. Maybe it's humor. I'm certainly guilty of that one. I deflect with humor lots of times. The interesting thing now at this stage of my life is I'm actually very aware I'm deflecting with humor and I do it on purpose. Before I just did it without even realizing what I was doing. Some people intellectualize. I had a conversation with somebody last year and this guy was just so clever. I mean, he should be a doctor or something. He just had so many amazing arguments against what we were talking about. I just like, I can't, I can't fight this. All I know is that's true and that's not. And this is black and that's white and that's as far as it goes. Intellectualize until the cows come home. It doesn't change it. He just didn't want to fee- face that pain. Isolation, withdrawal, physical isolation or emotional withdrawal. How many people do you know who do that? The minute they get into a bit of pain, it's in the bed, duvet up, not dealing with anybody. Medication. That can be anything from tablets to sex, drugs and rock and roll, you name it. And this is commonly where we go with sin. And the thing about sin is it's a bit like taking a paracetamol for a toothache. It works for an hour or two, but it doesn't solve the toothache. Some people use passive aggression. They're nice to your face, but behind your back they'll be gunning for you. Some people sabotage relationships by rejecting others before they get a chance to reject you. I've seen that over and over again particularly with the kids coming from the orphanage in Belarus, where they will do tons of stuff that will make you reject them before. So they proceed. I've seen it with adults here who will sabotage relationships because they're afraid that person's going to break it off with me, so I'm going to sort it out before that happens. I'll get out first. Other people who don't give trust. And here's the funny thing. I really believe most of us know deep down these things aren't going to work. But we just keep falling back into the trap of doing it. And do you know why I know they don't work? Because the next day you have to do it all over again. I've had the toothache. I've taken the paracetamol. Next morning I woke up. Guess what? I still had the toothache. Didn't go away. That toothache can be an emotional pain. It can be whatever you want to call it. But it's still there. And then the response is what other people then respond to our reaction. We're nearly there. Others often react to the defense in ways that reproduce the event and perpetuate the cycle. It's called circular causality. In other words, what I do becomes a self-serving cycle and spiral of negativity and pain. So I fear rejection. I go into a relationship and I get all kind of bent out of shape because I'm afraid of rejection and I actually cause the rejection because people don't want to be around me because I'm uncomfortable to be around Maybe because of your reaction, your spouse leaves or, or you lose a friend or you get fired from a job, whatever it is. You know what goes into your head? I knew. I knew it. I knew I wasn't lovable. I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew whatever. Anytime you act out of fear and self-protection, you will almost always end up getting the result you're trying to avoid. I'll say that again. Anytime I react in any situation out of fear, and our self-protection, I generally will end up getting the results I was trying to avoid. When we started going out together, I had a huge fear of rejection. I expected Dan to wake up any day and cop on and get rid of me. Um, And I acted accordingly. I used to kind of jump attendance, I do all kinds of stuff that was weird now that I look back on it. I had a fear of conflict as well, so I never said no. I said yes all the time to whatever she said because I didn't want to have a row. I didn't want to have a disagreement. I didn't want to have any kind of um, uncomfortableness in that space. Guess what? I was extremely uncomfortable. And do you know what else? I made her extremely uncomfortable because she thought she was with a weirdo. She was. I was weird. If you think of it, if you think of people you know who behave out of those kind of fears, they get really weird around you, don't they? 
Yous would never be like that. But people you know. So we have the event, we have the lie, we have the reaction, and we have the response. The event may have been dad wasn't there. The lie may be I'm not worth loving. The reaction may be I'm going to put my arms up. I'm not going to let people in. I'm going to keep this wall. You're not getting in here. I'm not getting hurt anymore. Do you know what, though? I still want to get married. There's something else inside me saying, I want to get married or I want to have a family or whatever. So then I end up getting married. Marriages don't work when we have walls like that. Relationships don't work. I still want to have friends, but I'm going to keep the walls up. I'm not going to let anyone hurt me. Relationships fall apart. Then what happens when it falls apart? I go, see, I knew it. I knew. Maybe you prayed for someone to get healed and they didn't get healed. Maybe you prayed for God to get you out of some kind of a financial mess and he didn't get you out of the mess. And you go, I knew. I knew he doesn't love me. I knew he doesn't care. My parents sat in a sitting room in the house in Captain's Row talking to friends of theirs. And it was the first time I ever heard the phrase, the shaking to the back. Because we're talking about their families. And it was what my dad said about me. And it, that event, and I was only a kid, I don't know what age I was, probably six, seven, something like that. But something triggered in my head that made me believe that event turned into, here's the lie, you were a mistake. And the lie moved on from there was, you're not loved and you're not wanted. So you better earn every bit of love. The reaction is that I lived as a people pleaser. The reaction was that I lived to avoid any kind of conflict, and I was extremely angry. But that anger was under the surface. And that was in every relationship. That wasn't the truth. I can honestly look back and go, I actually think my man and dad did love me. They may have been screwed up and all the rest of it, but I think they did love me. As the youngest of eight, I probably got more than any of the others did and got away with more than any of the others did. But it didn't stop me having that lie and living out of that lie. And here's the thing. I tried to stop it, and you may try to stop it, and this is where counseling will most times come in. Try and stop it by trying to get you to deal with the reaction that you're having to the lie. So you have a fear of rejection. Get out there. You're afraid of getting a bad feeling. Actually, go out and try. Give it a go. That doesn't help. You just feel worse. You're afraid of rejection. Go over there. I still don't like walking into a room where there are people I do not know. I would rather sit in the corner on my phone and pretend that I'm busy than have to go and talk to people because I still have that fear they will reject me. It hasn't miraculously gone away. I deal with it and I've learned to live with it and I've learned to take the grace of God and apply it to it and get past it, but it hasn't gone away. And I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to set this up for a false hope. I want to give you a real hope. God can cure something and heal something like that in a second. And he can set you free from it forever. And he has done that with other things in my life. But sometimes he just gives you the grace to keep living. Most counseling focuses on dealing with the reaction. And I say that knowing that I'm a counselor. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Most of what we're focusing on is the fruit of what's going on in our lives and not the root of what's causing it. Does that make sense? It's like stop watching porn, stop overeating, stop whatever, overworking. Can I tell you something just, just as, as an interesting thing? 
I learned through this, and, and, and it really struck me when I saw it the very first time, which is a couple of years ago. The reason most men go to porn is porn, and this isn't a go at anybody, porn never says no. There's no fear of rejection in it. The reason most people overeat food never says no. The reason most people overwalk, walk never says no. We don't have to deal with rejection. False intimacy sometimes is better than no intimacy in our warped thinking. We think I need to stop doing the wrong thing, which is the fruit. Do you know what the fruit is? It's like the apples. You can take apples off a tree all day long. The apple tree is never going to die. Is it? What's an apple tree made for? To give us apples. How do you kill an apple tree? Take out the root. Even chopping it down won't kill it. It'll grow back up out of the stump. You need to take out the root. So instead of trying to stop doing the thing, I need to start thinking about what am I thinking that's driving me to do the thing. The real culprit of this whole thing is the lie. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat the tree from any, or eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Satan couldn't get them to sin until he got them to believe the lie. He couldn't get them to sin until he got them to believe the lie. And you know what? He can't get us to either until we believe the lie. Because once I believe the lie, whatever destructive thing I'm going to do in my life, that'll take care of itself. That'll happen. Once I believe the lie. So we need to get to the light because that's what's holding the power here. That's the juice. That's the fuel. That's the, that's the petrol in the tank. The true solution to the sabotage cycle is to allow God's truth to defeat my lie. So I need something that is a counterweight against that lie. I need some truth to God that will take that lie and demolish that stronghold. So it's not just a change of behavior, it's a change in how I perceive reality. It's a change into trusting God over trusting myself. It's changing my source. It's knowing that my new source of truth is in God's word. Not in whatever I was told. Ephesians 2.10, I said it last week, God spoke to me in an instant and broke that. Psalm 139, I was knit together in my mother's womb by God. I was not a cosmic mistake. I was born with purpose for purpose, on purpose, Ephesians 2.10. I created you to do good works, which I organized in advance for you before one of your days came to be. So before any of us in this room was born, God had a plan of stuff he wanted us to achieve. How can I be a mistake? One minute from God changed. There's a whole new source of security, source of security and comfort. Because it's in God, it's not in me. And here's the thing, lots of us have a tendency to doubt the truth and believe the lies. But today the challenge is, let's start doubting the lies and start trying to believe the truth. I'll go back to 2 Corinthians and then I'm going to finish and we take a bit of time to pray and then we're finished. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what I want to do now is just take a bit of time. There's no music. Just now creating an atmosphere. God's in this room.
There's no trying to manipulate your emotions. There's none of that. I just want to create a space for the next couple of minutes where you can have an interaction with God. I'm going to ask some questions and just leave you to answer them in your heart with God. Is that okay? So before I do that, let me pray. Father, I just want to um, pray for this couple of moments that we have. I want to pray for anything that I have said, that if it's truth from you, it will resonate in our hearts and go deep. If there's stuff in it that's from me that shouldn't have been there, Lord, I just pray that falls to the floor and it's forgotten about. But I believe your spirit is in this room and it's here and you're dealing with us and you're interacting with us and you want the best for us. So Lord, as we invite and as I invite these folks into this space, I pray that you would lead us and you would guide us, that you would heal what needs to be healed, that you would set free that which is bound up and that you would change us forever, Lord. So I want to ask you to maybe close your eyes, or if you don't want to close your eyes, maybe just focus on something on the floor or on the table or the wall or something. Just give the people around you that bit of space. And just ask the Lord, who is my source of truth? Who is my source of truth? And allow the Lord to reveal who you are allowed to define the event. If you've experienced this, you've possibly let the enemy become your source of truth. Maybe the Lord might show you an event. Maybe he won't. But that's okay. And if he does, just ask him to show it to you from his point of view. Ask the Lord, who is my source of security or comfort? Maybe allow him to show you if you have constructed your own defense systems. Ask him to show that to you. If you've struggled with rejection and hurt and pain, it's quite possible you've put walls up all around you to protect yourself. Ask the Lord to show them to you. Invite God to remind you of an event. And then ask him to tell you what lie you may have believed whenever that event happens. <coughs> ask him, is there a lie that you are believing right now about you and about him? and about others. And if he shows you, then confess the lie and repent and ask him to forgive you, and he will. Just say, I believe the lie and I shouldn't have. Ask him to tell you the truth about it. Get God's counterway for the lie. The lie to me was, Brian, you're a mistake and you're unlovable. The truth was, God created me on purpose and he loves me. Why is your counterweight? God has a counterweight for you. Believe it, receive it. And confess it over your life. Last week we talked about the power of life and death is in the tongue. What we say over our own lives is so powerful. I am unlovable or I am, unlo- I am loved by the creator of the universe. I am secure in the creator of the universe. Ask the Lord to show you how you learn to protect yourself from the pain or what you're using to look for comfort whenever that pain comes. Maybe it's the walls you're putting up. Maybe it's the use of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever. What is your defense? Receive his forgiveness. Renounce being your own defender. Allow God into your pain. Let him in to be your comforter. Invite him to be your defender.
You know, ask him to show you a picture of what it looks like for him to protect and comfort and heal you. And then believe and receive. Because he wants to pour his comfort out on you and he wants to pour his joy into you. And he wants to protect you. And he wants you to have a moment with him that you can take into tomorrow and the rest of this life. So, Lord, I thank you that you give me wisdom and power to close the door to wrong thinking and to smash lies built against your truth. Father, help us to hear your truth, to believe what you say and to obey you by becoming the person that you redeemed us to be and by living the life that you created us to live. And, Father, I pray that you would continue to show us as we move from this space into the rest of this day and the rest of this week, that you would continue to show us the lies that we have believed. The potential that is ahead of us. The freedom that you have for us. And the love that you want to pour into us. So Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. I pray that you would make your face shine on them. I pray that you would grant them peace. I pray most of all, Lord, that they would know the presence of your Holy Spirit in their life every single day and every single moment. 